But it's good to be here with you all today. Just so you know a little bit, I uh, and Joyce, we're members at LifeSpring Church over on in uh, Spring Grove. We've been there for four years. And uh, as Mitch was telling you, for the last five years, I have been a part of the leadership for what's called the uh, Church Evangelism Initiative. And basically that's from the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College. And so what we do is we have these cohorts that meets once a month with pastors with the intention to help them to grow in reaching people for their church, and in particular, those who are unchurched. And that's where I've got to meet, to meet Mitch. And uh, he's been a great participant. You've got a great guy here. He really worked on the material. He tried to apply it and uh, felt his support throughout. So I am glad to be able to support you this morning, actually, as I share with you today. So when uh, Mitch asked me to, to speak, he said, you have two options. One is to continue the series, or speak on something that you want to speak on. And so I took advantage of that because uh, I've been really, uh, this has been a, a difficult uh, couple of years for my family, for Joyce and I. And uh, during that time, uh, well, most recently I broke my wrist in February and then had surgery and had this long recovery with it. And then in the meantime, uh, two of our adult children have had significant health issues over the last couple years. And so Psalm 121 really became a support and encouragement to me and to our family during this time. And I had heard someone speak about it uh, a while back, and I thought, you know, when I get an opportunity and someone asks me to speak and gives me a blank, uh, a blank topic, I will do that. And so you have got uh, Psalm 121 today as something that has spoken to me and hopefully will speak to you as well. Um, I didn't uh, realize we, we had, would read it so quickly before I'd speak, so I want to uh, just ask you, does anyone, when you heard Psalm 121, did you hear any repeated words or phrases as you, don't look, because if we don't have anything, I'll read it again. But uh, was there any repeated words or phrases as you listened to it? And maybe not. So um, that'll give me reason to read it again. What's that? Slumber was received. Slumber, yeah. Slumber was a, an important one. Let me read it again. It's only eight verses, okay? And you don't need to look it up again if you want. But I want you to listen for uh, repeated words or something, a word that sticks out to you and those eight verses. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber or sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on the right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you, your going out and your coming in, from, time, from this time forth and forevermore. Any words stick out to you? Any words that you heard repeated? Keeper. Keeper, uh, slumber, any other things that stuck out to you when you listened to it? 
He will and the Lord will. The, he will and the Lord will. Yes, yes, good. Well, one of the words that, that was identified was keeper. Six times keep is mentioned here. And we'll talk more about that. But that's why the, the title of my talk today is God, Our Keeper. And we'll talk about what does it mean to have God as our keeper. But let me uh, pray for us, and then we'll kind of unpack what we see here. Heavenly Father, our greatest joy in this life and the life to come is to know you. You are our treasure, our hope, our security, our keeper. You give yourself to us and you reveal yourself to us. Now, Lord, we pray that you'll meet us and you'll help us to know you better from this wonderful book. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, I broke my wrist in February, had surgery, and then followed with four months of therapy. And I had all this therapy, and the reason I had all this therapy was it was trying to help me to get my wrist to do what it was made to do again, right? So I did things like I did these bends. I had to do bends. I, uh, I used bands to try to get my wrist to work. I used a, I don't know, a little ball. I rolled my hand in the ball so I didn't get carpal tunnel. I used therapy putty and, uh, and also used weights. But all of those exercises were to get my range of motion going again. And the good news is it's been about six months and I, I can almost bend it the same as my other hand. And just a month ago I started golfing again. So quite frankly I'm happy. And so, um, but that is what happened to me. But the interesting thing is the Psalms is also a range of motion exercises for our soul. I don't know if you've thought about the Psalms, but that's a range of exercises for your soul. And one of the things that's interesting about the Psalms is the fact is the Psalms help us become who we're made to be. And so what it does is, what the Psalms do? It trains you to pray. And if you were to look at the Psalms, there's 150 of them, and there's all kinds of different Psalms. For example, there's Psalms of Thanksgiving. There's Psalms of uh, Praise. There's also Psalms of Wisdom. And, you know, interesting enough, uh, one-third of all Psalms are called Lament Psalms. You know what a Lament Psalm is? Anyone? Sadness. Sadness, yes. Hurt, fear, struggle. One-third of all the Psalms are the psalmist feeling those things. You think the psalmist knows what it means to have pain and struggle? You read that. And then the last uh, set of psalms are, I think I said this right, imprecatory. Does anyone know what imprecatory psalms are? It's a little more difficult, but what that means... Yes, right. It's the all calling God's judgment on your enemies. And say, so, well, kill that guy. And you think, oh my gosh, what's going on here? And it's kind of this imprecatory. But you know what? What the psalms does... It teaches us uh, to pray just like we teach our children to speak. What am I saying here is this. You know, we speak to our kids long before they speak back to us, right? We say, are you hungry? We say, uh, you know, why are you crying? And get no response. Or we say, hey, do you need your diaper changed? 
and we get no response. But do you know why we do that? It's because when we speak to them, eventually they'll say those words back to us. And that's what this whole thing about the Psalms is. It gives us a language of prayer. And eventually, we will pray prayers if we get to know the Psalms, just like the Psalms did. And so one of the things that I've done is I've made it a habit for me. I read one Psalm a day. And so in a year, I've read this, in all Psalms at least twice. And I must confess that I think it's starting to affect my prayer life. But Psalms teach us how to pray. But the interesting, we're looking at Psalm 121 today, and in fact, it's not a prayer. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, so I say all that because I think that's what's important about Psalms. But Psalm 121 is not a prayer. It actually is a song. And it's a song that talks about God's care for us in the present and in the future. If you have had a chance to look at the Psalms, and if you were to, to read Psalm 120 to 134, all those are songs. And these songs that are there were sung by the Israelites as they went up to Jerusalem for their three annual feasts. So they would sing these songs as they go up the road to Jerusalem. Three times a year. And one of the things is about Jerusalem, if you know, uh, your geography, it, uh, is that Jerusalem was on a hill. So everybody who would go to Jerusalem for these festivals was going up the hill towards Jerusalem. And so uh, that's why verse 1 starts with the words, I lift my eyes to the hills. This is a song. And you're going up towards Jerusalem for this festival. And you're singing these songs. And you say, I lift my eyes to the hills. But both figuratively and, and uh, real is that they were lifting their eyes to the hills. So the people traveling, you can imagine this, people traveling up to Jerusalem three times a year, they'd be filled with anticipation. Going up these hills, they'd be thinking, you know, everybody's going to be there. All my friends will, I haven't seen for four months will be there. There's going to be singing. There's going to be scripture reading. There's going to be celebration. So you can imagine this anticipation as they were going up the hill, right? I lift my eyes to the hill. But at the same time, as they were going up the hill, they would have some fears as well. And that's why going up to Jerusalem, one of the problems of going up to Jerusalem was, as we just read, the roads weren't safe. The story of the Good Samaritan, he was going from Jerusalem to Jericho on the roads that they'll be traveling up. What happened to him? He was robbed and he was beaten. So you have this anticipation, but you also have a little bit of fear as you're traveling up that mountain. Because there's potential dangers for these travelers. Just think about that. You're going up the hill. You know these roads are unsafe. You're looking forward to getting up the hill. You got extra money. For lodging, you got extra money for offerings. You have your children with you, and so you feel a little bit vulnerable at this point and exposed. You know they're not safely at home, or are they yet? It's just a walled city. So where they're at is they need help, and they need help right now. And so the psalmist invites them to ask the question. Think about yourself as a as one of these 
uh, travelers. He says, I look back, lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? I lift my eyes. Where does the help come from? So you can kind of get the feel what they were feeling, right? Anticipation, but at the same time, some fears. I need help right now. How am I going to make it up that hill? He goes, where does my help come from? And I would say this. Uh, that is a good question for us as well as these travelers. As we face things in our lives, where does your help come from? You know, we experience trouble every day, right? We're probably Some of us are experiencing difficulties today. And we really are pretty uncertain about our future. So the psalmist is saying to these travelers going up to Jerusalem, and he's saying to us today, where does your help come from? You know, I, I don't know what you guys are going through, but I can just take a stab. It's, you know, some of the trouble that we are experiencing right now is, you know, maybe some of us are in a job that just is not giving enough money to pay the bills. You think, where, where am I going to get money for my bills? Some of us might be have experienced some separation with our spouse or our children, and we don't know where we can, how we're going to bridge the gap. Some of us are having some health issues, and we're wondering, who's going to care for us? Some of you are not as old as me, but you start thinking about more, uh, your mortality. Who's going to take care of me if something happens? And some of us are facing the, the fact that someone we really love has hurt us. Someone we trust has hurt us. These are things that we're experiencing daily. These are troubles. We need help now. We don't need that. the idea that once we get to Jerusalem, we need help now. And you know, it's interesting if the last two years have taught us anything. We can't control the future. We can't control the economy. We can't, tro- we can, we can't control the pandemics. As a matter of fact, we can't even control and make plans for, for holidays. Someone gets sick and there goes our whole plan for the holidays, right? And now the sad thing is, can we in fact go to a parade? There's uncertainty about the future. We have no control over the future. I think the sad thing is, the psalmist says, where do you get your help? We're facing this uncertainty about the future. We have these presidents. Sadly, we look in the wrong places. We look in the wrong places. When you think about some of the struggles in your life, where does your help come from? Some think it's going to come from relationships. I got my spouse. I have my children. I have my friends and family. Then all of a sudden, one of those dies or your kids move away. What you thought was going to be your help is no longer your help. Some of us place our help in money. We think if I have a good enough IRA, if I have enough money in the bank, if I have a good pension, I have the help I need. But the truth of the matter is, money can do a lot, but it can't give you security about the future. And some of us, we don't even deal with the fact of what, uh, is, what we're looking for anything, but we're looking to replace it with things that, that we can control. We give ourselves to our work. We give ourselves to our, 
uh, relationships or exercise or give ourselves uh, to entertainment. Just trying to avoid. But the point of all this is that and we all need help for our present troubles. And we all need help for on the uncertain future. And the psalmist is saying to you, where do you go for your help? Where do you go for your help? What does the psalmist say where he gets his help? He says, my help is the Lord. Because my help comes from the Lord. And you know, truthfully, the Lord is the real and only a true source of help. And then what the psalmist does then, he gives us three assurances why we could have confidence that the Lord is a good helper. He gives us three assurances of why the Lord is a good helper and the true helper. The first is this. God is a good helper because he is unlimited in power. He is unlimited in power. He says the first, the psalmist says, where does my help come from? Mine comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. When you make something, you own it. When you make something, you have authority over it. When you make something, you can set the rules. One of the things, uh, Joyce and I, is we have eight grandkids. And we like having them come to our house. And some of the boys like Legos. So one of the things that they'll do is they'll sit in the, uh, the living room and they'll make little structures or put something together. And one of them, who really has a lot of concentration ability on our grandkids, he will make a structure. Then maybe he has to go to the bathroom or something. And then his brother comes along. And what his brother does, he destroys it. And then we have to say to his brother, uh, that's not yours to destroy. Your brother made that. He goes, he didn't want it anyways. Right? He didn't want it anyways. Well, that may be true. But the point is, your brother's the only one who could really destroy it because he made it. Because the person who makes it is the owner. The person who makes it can make the rules. And what this pass, passage says is God made heaven and earth. God made heaven and earth. He made everything. He rules everything. He's supreme over everything. He own, and he is authority. God made it. He's unlimited in power. You know, nothing is out of God's department. God doesn't have to say, hey, wait a minute, i got to call the manager to answer what's going on in this, about this issue. God is the manager. He's in charge of every department. And he's just the kind of helper you need. He can help you without exerting himself. He's unlimited power and he wants to help you. The first point in the Apostles' Creed is this. Does anyone know what it is? I believe Father Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth. Okay, what characterizes a person who really believes that, that God made heaven and earth? What characterizes it? 
person who really believes that. We say that. But what characterizes a person who believes God made heaven and earth, who is unlimited in power, is characterized as someone who has peace. Just like we see in this psalm. There's a peace because he knows the maker. There also is a restful heart. If you believe that God made heaven and earth, you have a restful heart. You don't go around living overwhelmed by fears. Do you really believe God's the maker of heaven and earth if we're full of fears? Or often, our stomach is full of knots. If you're like me, I do have moments of that. But I need to remember that God is made everything. Everything. And he's unlimited in his power. And he wants to use that power to meet your needs. So that's the first assurance. The second is this. God is unlimited in power. He's unceasing watchfulness. He's unceasing in watchfulness. So there in verse 5, God, or the Lord, is your keeper. The Lord is your keeper. Um, six times it talks about him keeping. You know, uh, I'm sure that all of you either have been to a soccer game or watched soccer or you have kids or grandkids who play soccer. Um, what the person who guards the net is called the goalie in soccer. But, you know, if you were to go to Europe in soccer, it's not called soccer in Europe, right? What's it called? Anybody know? Football. Football. What's the goaler called? What's the, what's the goalie called in soccer in, in, or in football? Does anyone have an idea? It's a keeper. And the Lord is our keeper. What's the job of the keeper? Don't let anything get un- into the net, right? It's the last level of defense. It's the one who's the guardian. And it says, the Lord is our keeper. And this keeper of ours does not slumber or sleep. And you know, God kind of takes care of us like we like to take care of our kids. When our kids were uh, younger, and they would get sick, like the croup or something like that, and they, they couldn't breathe or they couldn't sleep, we'd stay up all night just to be with them. Because you want to be around them to help them, right? And let me just say, it doesn't go away. In March, we got a phone call, and we heard that our 33-year-old son, um, who's a CrossFit competitor, had a stroke. And he wasn't in good shape. And we got up and left and went to Kansas City to be by him. We would take care of him 24-7 because we care about him. But you know the problem is? We need our sleep. Right? And sometimes our care is not very good when we don't get sleep. But in God's case, he doesn't. He doesn't sleep or slumber. He's always there taking care of us. He watches us all the time. God doesn't need a 2 o'clock coffee break just to make it through the rest of the day. He can do that. And so, what he's trying, what the whole idea is that he will not let your foot slip. 
it said there as well. And what he's saying is, our destination is not Jerusalem. Our destination is to be with God. And he promises that we'll reach that destination. And nothing will happen to us unless it gets by the keeper. So what we have is, we can trust God with our needs and our issues because number one, he's unlimited power. He's unceasing in watchfulness. And third, he's unfailing in protection. It says there in verse 5 that he's the shade at our right hand. What, what does it mean, shade at our right hand? Another, or a better way, a different way of looking at it, it means that he's our shadow. God is our shadow. We live in his shadow day and night. Think about this. When you wake in the morning and you face the cares of the day, you are in God's shadow. He's there right by you. In the middle of the day, when the work is pulling, is, is becoming overwhelming and piling up, God is in, you're in God's shadow. At night, when you put your kids to, get, to bed, or you go to bed and say, I'm ruining my, am I ruining my kids and everybody around me? You're in the shadow. And finally, in the middle of the night, we could sleep because God, we're in God's shadow. Psalms 91, uh, verses 1 and 2 says this, Whoever dwells in the shadow of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, the God in whom I trust. God cares for us and cares for us comprehensively. He keeps you from all evil. He keeps you from harm. He keeps you going in and going out now and forevermore. He is the ultimate keeper. That's God is for you. But you might be asking the question. If God is unlimited in power, unceasing in watchfulness, and unfailing in protection, why am I struggling? Why am I suffering? Why am I going through what I'm going through at this point? You know, the psalmist who says this is aware of the, of the truth, of the, of the stories of the Bible. And he was aware when he said that, that God would keep you from all harm and would deliver you safely to your destination. Because he knew, the psalmist knew that Abraham and Sarah struggled for years with infertility. He knew David lost his infant son and two of his sons were killed. He also knew that even though Ruth had a happy ending with Boaz, she lost her first husband. Suffering happens. And the promise of this, really, folks, is that we can be assured that what comes through into our life only comes through the Keeper. What you're facing has coming through the Keeper. The Keeper has let that happen. You may remember the story of, of, um, of Job. You know, Job was blameless. He was upright. He feared God. He turned away from evil and he was richly blessed by God. So, 
Satan came to, to, to God and said, listen, truth is, Job wouldn't do these things if you wouldn't be so good to him. Take away, take away all his blessings and he will curse you. And you read it in Job, what happened to him? He lost his, uh, his possessions. He lost his health. He lost his family. But the interesting thing is, you know what Job never did? What did Job not do? He never cursed God, did he? So as a matter of fact, he went through all that suffering, all that difficulty. In the end, his relationship with God deepened. Sometimes God allows us things. He put, lets things go into the net to help you develop your relationship with God. So when we go through suffering, we go through the valley of the shadow of death, remember this, he is with you. And you are in his shadow. Therefore you can rest and trust in him that he'll keep you from eternal harm. You know, we don't deserve this care. We have all sinned and turned from God. But he still is offering to keep us, let us go through death unharmed. Why? Why does God allow that? It's because God loves you. God loves us. And he loves us enough to give us his son. His son died in our place so that we can face death unharmed. God loves you. And God is your helper and your keeper. Let me close with just a couple questions. First of all, do you know this God? Do you know this God? God you know is the unlimited in power, the maker of heaven and earth. The God you know is the unceasing in watchfulness, never slumbering your sleep, always aware of what's going on with you, unfailing in protection, even in death. He's protecting you. He's always out for your good. Do you know this God? The secondly is this. If you know this God, is it affecting your prayer life? God knows the dangers and struggles you're going through. He knows what you're experiencing. We can trust and rest in Him. Is that how you're praying? Or are you so fearful that God doesn't know what's going on in your life you have to rouse Him up to tell Him what's going on so He wakes up and does something? Because if we know this God, it should affect how we talk to Him and how we trust Him. He doesn't promise perfect circumstances, but He promises that He will be with you every step of your way. And you can have a restful heart. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. May that be true for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks. Thank you that you're a God who wants us to know who you are.
You want us to know how powerful you are, how watchful you are, how loving you are, and how protecting you are. Father, I pray that we can trust you for that. Father, help us this week to have our trust in you, that you will take care of us. In Jesus' name, amen.